Uh, the kids can go down, um, go on back, and I think they can go just on down the stairs. I don't know if there's anyone there to grab them right there, but just go on down the stairs to the kids' area. All right. And then take your Bibles and open up to 1 Corinthians 14. If you don't have a Bible, you should get one. <laughs> but there are some in the pews in front of you. It's a little different version. Um, there's also some in the back, I believe, in the ESV, which is the version I'm going to be reading from, the version that we use. And those Bibles in the pews in front of you, we're going to be updating them, and we're just giving you a fair warning that they're, they're going to become ESVs soon. All right. 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. For the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider saying amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. So I want you to think about what 
our culture values. And if you pay attention to commercials and how things are advertised, I think you'll see some main themes. What is new, what is young, what is convenient. Buy this new vehicle. It's so much newer than all your other vehicles. You can't imagine how much better it is with all its new gadgets. Or use this makeup, or try this body wash, or take these vitamins. It'll make you look and feel young again. Or, I can't believe you've gone this long without the Kitchen Master 5000. It chops vegetables, it fillets fish, it sets the table, and balances your checkbook. (laughs) We're constantly being marketed to. From every quarter, someone is trying to convince us that what we have now is not good enough, and what we could have will make us so much happier. And it's no wonder that people are stressed, depressed, and frantic. When the message being told is, what you have is not enough. What you are is not enough. But if you buy this, you'll be happier. But as we grow up, we see the value is not in the newest and the flashiest thing. We see that there's value in maturity. And the Corinthians had the same sort of problem. They were valuing the wrong things. They thought the measure of their growth was in how visible their gifts were. They held up the gift of tongues as a sign that they were mature. But they weren't mature. Instead, they were acting like selfish children. We saw in last week's sermon on 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul is taking the Corinthians' focus off of themselves and their own gifts and on what they can accomplish And Paul is saying that if you have the best, most visual gifts, but you don't have love, your gifts are worse than worthless. They're even annoying. They're a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. But love is the mark of growth and maturity. And it's not meant to make you feel better about yourself or look more holy around others. Rather, Paul tells them what it means to love. Outwards, others-focused living and use of all God's gifts. And now in chapter 14, we'll see this continue as he gives practical answers to the question he brought up in chapter 13. And the question is, how does love cause us to live? Paul answers in two ways. Love causes us to use our spiritual gifts to build up the body, and love causes us to pursue maturity in our thinking. And these are going to be our two points. First, love causes us to use our spiritual gifts to build up the body. Paul is showing the Corinthians how love affects the way they ought to think about their gifts and how they ought to make use of them. Specifically, Paul is comparing and contrasting tongues and prophecy. Look at verses 4 and 5. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophecies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. For the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so the church may be built up. He's trying to get the Corinthians to move away from self-serving fascination with tongues and move into a church-building desire to prophesy. But before we get into why Paul thinks the gift of prophecy is better for the Corinthian church than tongues, we should look more closely at what those two gifts mean to Paul. And first, we'll look at tongues. 
Now, in the last century, but mainly in the last 40 years, the gift of tongues has been the topic of one of the more divisive arguments taking place between churches and denominations. So we're going to stick closely to our text in front of us and see what Paul says about tongues, rather than getting bogged down in the contemporary debate. And there are three things that we should see this text telling us about tongues. The first is this, that tongues are unintelligible without an interpretation. Look at verse 9. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. However, the second thing we should see is that the gift of tongues isn't meaningless gibberish. We can see that in verse 10. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. We see this gift at work when the Holy Spirit is given to the church during Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verses 4 and 8 through 8, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude they came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? So we see that what someone with the gift of tongues says is, in fact, meaningful. However, the third thing to see is that unless there is someone who understands the language and interprets it, tongues are useless to the hearers. Verse 11 says, But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Paul is saying that if there is no communication happening, we can't be of any help to one another. So next time you buy something that comes with an instruction manual, tear out the first quarter and just throw it away. That's just the English part of the instructions. And there's still plenty of information in that manual. But now it's written in Spanish, German, Chinese, what have you. And for those of us here who are only really fluent in English and sarcasm, I guarantee you that unless you're working with Legos or Ikea, there is no way you're going to be able to figure it out. A language you can't understand is not going to help you at all. In contrast, prophecy comes to the church in our own language. It's not mixed up like the Tower of Babel. Prophecy builds up the church directly because it delivers teaching and knowledge. And teaching and knowledge are the very things that benefit the body. We can see that in verse 6. Paul asks, How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? This is what Paul's letter to the Corinthians and the Bible as a whole is. It's information, knowledge, teaching. Now, prophecy is more of a spontaneous revelation from God but we have a book. So Paul is saying you should desire to prophesy. Or, if you have the gift of tongues, pray for interpretation. Because the goal of the spiritual gifts used through love is building up the church. Secondly, Paul tells us that love causes us to pursue maturity in our thinking. And we can see this clearly in verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. 
Childlike faith does not mean childish thinking. The Corinthians were enamored with tongues and prophecy, but they should have understood that love is the proper goal of maturity. Rather than seek things that only build up yourself, we should seek maturity for the sake of growth in the body, our church. And we can see the means for growth and maturity if we take another look at how Paul thinks about tongues and prophecy. Why does he say that prophecy is better than tongues? Because prophecy builds up the church, and tongues only build up the self. Prophecy is clear. It teaches. That's what it is meant to do. Tongues are unintelligible. It doesn't help you if I say something in a language you don't understand. And this is just a logical argument. Paul is saying, sure, Corinthians, the gift of tongues really draws attention to yourself, but it does no good for others. So stop acting like selfish children and start thinking about the people around you. Look at Romans 12, 1 through 2. Paul there, in a letter to the Romans, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't conform yourself to your selfish desires like the world around you is, and renew your mind so that you'll be transformed. Take your eyes off of worthless things, and find life in God's ways. And we've seen throughout 1 Corinthians that spiritual does not mean mystical. Spiritual growth is practical growth. And this is true in all of life. We learn spiritually, we grow spiritually by learning spiritual things. You don't, need, you don't learn how to bake by having a mystical experience with flour, yeast, salt, and water. You learn by reading a recipe and trying it out. You don't learn how to drive a car by becoming one with the engine. You read the little blue book, at least it was blue when I was learning. You take the driver's ed class and you get behind the wheel. And everybody else stays off the sidewalks. (laughs) Growth comes through learning and practice. This is true of spiritual growth no less than any other kind of growth. And Paul here is giving us two reasons to grow. There is the internal goal of building up one another inside the church, and there's the external goal of calling outsiders to account before God. We need to grow ourselves so that our church can grow. Paul says it right there in verse 12. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Do you want to experience God and know him more? Build up the church, your church. Paul is writing all of this to a specific group of people in the town of Corinth. People who know each other, see each other, meet with each other. And all of this applies to you as a believer in your local church. Because this is God's method of growth. And secondly... We need to grow as a church because the church is God's one and only instrument on earth for bringing sinners to himself through Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul is saying in verses 23 through 25. 
If an unbeliever happens to come to church and you're all speaking in tongues, he'll think you're out of your mind. But if all are prophesying, he is called to account by all. He repents, falling on his face, and worships God. There isn't a better motivation for us than that. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says, after telling his disciples about the parable of the lost sheep, he's telling them the point of the parable. He says this, There is greater rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If the church, if our church as a body is mature, we bear witness to the truth that God is who he says he is. A mature church that uses their gifts out of love for one another is a living proclamation that God saves ruined sinners and redeems us out of our broken lives and into his life. So how does love cause us to live? Love causes us to use our spiritual gifts to build up the body. Now, there are three lists of spiritual gifts given in the New Testament in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. And we're just going to look at a few of these gifts and see how they could be used to build up our body at Buffalo City Church. First of them being service. If you see another member in need and you can help them, do so. This isn't just being kind and sticking around to help stack chairs, although that's always appreciated. This is meeting another person's need, something they cannot do on their own. But it can be as simple as bringing a meal to a family that is so underwater with a new birth or a bereavement that they just can't keep up. What about teaching? Do you have the skill of communicating so that people can learn from you? Consider how you could serve our kids. As they get older, there's going to be more and more opportunity and need for teaching. Or just consider how you could lead a Bible study, or even just participate more in your community group's discussion. And then there's a gift of leadership. As Buffalo City Church grows in number, and praise God that we are, we're going to need more community groups and more community group hosts and leaders. Maybe that's you. Seriously think about it. What I hope you see in these few examples is that using your spiritual gift to build up the body is not mystical or complicated. It's simple and practical. But I didn't say it was easy. Love also causes us to pursue maturity in our thinking. And this is why we come and listen to sermons, why we spend so much time in congregational worship listening to someone preach from God's word. When the Jewish exiles returned from Babylon, they were gathered together, and Ezra and the priests preach to them. You read that in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And then what was the result? The people mourned over their sin, turned back to God, and went their way rejoicing. They learned and grew mature because they understood the word of God. This is what preaching is, looking deeply at God's word so that we may learn and grow in maturity as a church. And this is also why and how we can do discipleship. Pursuing maturity in our thinking defines both Christian growth and discipleship. 
Growth, as we saw, is gaining understanding of who we are and who God is through what he has said. And discipleship is simple. It's just helping someone gain that understanding. You don't need a curriculum or a master plan or a seminary degree. You just need to sit down together and open up the book. We have a book. God gave us a book. The Apostle Peter, probably as he was sitting in prison awaiting his execution, wrote to the churches in order to strengthen them so that they could stand after he was killed. He wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 16 through 21, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, a prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This blows the gift of tongues and prophecy right out of the water. You want to hear God speak through you, which is what tongues and prophecy is? That's nothing compared to being an eyewitness of Jesus at his transfiguration, in his glory. Peter sees Jesus shining in his glory, and he hears the real voice of God the Father speaking. This is the God whose voice, whose speech created the world. And how does Peter estimate the worth of being an eyewitness of such glory? Do you think this is what your faith needs? Do you think you need to experience God? Do you think, well, if only he would speak to me personally, or if only I could see something, if only I had been there when Jesus was walking around on earth, then I could really have faith. I could really believe and do all of these things. But what does Peter say? We have something more sure. Now this is where we sit at attention because whatever he says next is better for us than if we were on that mountain standing there seeing Jesus in his glory and hearing God the Father speak. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word. God's book, the Bible. Do you believe that? Better than being an eyewitness is having this book because that's how God works. This is how we grow in maturity, by growing in our understanding of who we are and who God is. And we learn those things from his word. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, not counting our sins against us. This is true only insofar as you are reconciled to God. These blessings of love and maturity come to us only through Jesus Christ. We can't do this on our own. 
We can't love each other on our own. We can't grow in maturity on our own. But that's fine. That's good news because God does not leave us on our own. We've rejected him as our maker, preferring to try it our own way. We have rejected him even as he has tried to help us, to lead us in the good way all our life. We rejected God. But God, instead of rejecting us, sent his son. But God, instead of rejecting us, rejected his son in place of us. God could have forsaken us for our sins. But instead of crying out ourselves, we hear Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God killed Jesus for your sins so that you wouldn't have to be killed for them. Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God. He drained it. There's nothing more in there for you. God poured hell out on Jesus so that he could pour heaven out on us for Jesus' sake. Let me be clear. The gospel is not for good people who have earned heaven. It's for ruined sinners who ought already to be in hell. Do you believe that? Jesus is asking you, do you love me? If your answer is no, I have only one thing to say to you. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if your answer is yes, I have only one thing to say to you. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. So in light of all this, how does love cause us to live? Use your gifts, whatever they are, to build up the church. Consider the people around you. These are the people for whom Christ has died. Jesus loves them. You love them too. And pursue maturity in your thinking. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by renewing your mind. Seek to know how to please God. Dig into his word until you know him better, and then keep digging. He's given us a book that tells us who we are, who he is, and how we should then live. Don't be content to remain childish. You need to grow up. We need to grow up. Let love affect how you live. Make love the governing virtue of your life. Not some mysterious, ethereal, oh, love, love is just feeling good. Or love, in this we know love, that he gave his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Make that the governing factor of your life. God's love causes us to use our gifts to build up the church by growing in maturity, which happens as we conform our minds to his word. He's given us all we need. He's given us his book. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his son. He's not going to withhold what we need. Let's pray. Continue to praise God. Thank you, Lord, that your word 
like fire, like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. Thank you that you've given us something better than if you were to remain with us on earth in your flesh, Jesus. Thank you that it is better for us that you go to heaven to send your spirit. Help us to understand what you are teaching us in your word. Let there not be a veil hiding it from us. Take it away. May we know that if we in our own strength confided we would fail, but the right man is on our side, Christ Jesus, the Lord of hosts, and he will win the battle. He must win the battle. He will reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. May we seek to be among his friends. Amen.